Welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline Podcast. I am Dax Holt, joined by Mr. Adam Glenn. What's up, buddy? Uh, dude, I have been enjoying this conversation with Anna Lynn. Um, let's get back to it. Yeah, so if for people that are just joining us this week and they haven't let, listened to the last episode, stop right now. Go listen to the last episode because we started this as a part two of our interview with Annalyn McCord, and uh, we're right in pretty much a a pretty sensitive topic, um, but we've been talking about uh, the sexual abuse that she has suffered through her childhood and then some of the issues that she had later on in life. But my last question to her, where we can pick back up, is did you ever confront the person after all of the the stuff came out, the allegations came out after your realization that things happened. Did you ever confront that person? I did um, on a couple occasions, just different things had come out. So different conversations were had. Um, the person never acknowledged that it happened. Um, and denied I or just didn't that. acknowledge? Um, denied. Denied. Um, and and said, you know, I just, I just wouldn't do something like this. I just wouldn't do something like this. And I'm like, well, you did, but okay. Um, but for me, I think, you know, one of the profound things about acknowledging the person is, is really it's for you. You're talking to something that has been a monster inside of you for years. And now you're having a conversation with that monster. And you're saying, you know what, monster, I see you something about turning on the lights when there's a monster in your bed and he goes away. You're not a monster anymore. I'm safe. But, but the, that next level that, that cause the conversation is not normally like a nice one on the first time around. So there was the not nice one where yeah. I think veins were popping out of my neck a couple of times. I might've looked like the Hulk. Um, but then the next level was, I want you to get help. Like, I want you to get help. I want you to be okay. And I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And I don't think you, you want this to happen to anyone else. And then it finally came to a sense of acceptance of, of, I can't, I'm not in control of what happens in this, in the rest of the world. I'm in control of what happens in this world right here, which is my world, which is me. And, and what happens in here is that no one is allowed to take space in here anymore, unless I invite them inside of me, literally and figuratively. No one gets to be in here but me and who I allow in. And and that means that the only part of this person who's allowed in is him as an eight-year-old boy who I have an incredible amount of love and compassion for because if he, that little eight-year-old boy, grew up innocent and didn't have anything bad happen to him, there is no way that, that, that he would then become someone who could be hurtful or a monster to another child. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that we do things unless things show us how to do those children mimic we learn from mimic we we learn from what we see did you ever think about going to the police now or then about it you know or yes i did i actually spoke to the fbi multiple fbi agents because of the nature of of um the things that happened and and other factors that were involved um and the fbi had initially gotten involved and then they realized that it was a local law enforcement situation and that local law enforcement you know knew, told me what i already knew which was the statute of limitations was over and um and that is something that for a lot of people is extremely disheartening because it's like you finally get to this place where you're ready to like stand up for yourself and it's like oh sorry you didn't remember early enough so your pain doesn't count 
the end, like, it's kind of crazy. It's like, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty hard on, on a lot of people because they just, it feels so invalidating. Um, for me, this journey is number one about healing, number two about justice. So I was in a different boat, but yeah, what, we did, uh, you know. What about the, the attacker at 18? Did you ever confront that person or even see that person ever again after that night? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was 19. Uh, well, I, I think I, I was 18, 19. Yeah. Around there. Um, so I had completely, as I said, disassociated from that. And, um, about 10 months later, one of our mutual friends and I had fallen out of our friend group. So I had had a group of people that I'd kind of started to be in with, um, and when I first moved to LA and I didn't do anything with the group anymore. And a couple of times everyone was like, just come out. Like, why won't you come out? Like, whatever, whatever. And I came out one time. I saw the person and I wore a black wig, but that was kind of normal for me because everybody knew that I wore wigs and I just do random stuff. Because as previously mentioned, crazy cat lady started before she had a cat. She was just a crazy <laughs> lady. So crazy lady was out with her wig, which is totally normal to my friends um, and to me until now. And I realized it's cuckoo. But um, but so I saw this person and I was like trying to keep my head down and they were in the crowd, but they hadn't seen me. And then they made me and just like started to come after me and I was like I literally like a gazelle in the Serengeti like I took off I ran out I crossed four lanes of traffic without even looking it's a surprise I didn't get hit by a car I was screaming at the valet the lovely valet in LA that we have so much of which this time I was happy and I didn't park my car in the street <laughs> I was screaming get me the red mini cooper now I have a meeting at 11 p.m at night doesn't make any sense didn't matter didn't care get me the keys and like literally he's like throws them at me doesn't know what to do and I'm like get in my car and I just peel out and then a couple months after that, a f mutual friend in that group, because then I just stopped hanging out altogether. I was just not going to chance that experience happening. I was at my friend's house, Kirk, and he, he was like, I, I have like, he, he would basically be the equivalent of like a big brother. He's like, he, he would walk me to my car at night, but he also give me shit all the time. Just like this hoe over here, like, you know, like, and that's how our relationship was. We were just like, we're kind of bros, but he's like a big brother to me. He would do anything in the world for me. Um, I was hanging at his house and then he comes up and he's like, I know why you don't hang with our group anymore. You're in love with this guy who had done, who had raped me. And, and my entire body started feeling all that same stuff that I obviously had felt when I ran out of that, that place when I'd seen the guy. And he was like, he's like, Oh, you do look at you. Look at you. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. And he's like, you're in love with him. Yes. You're in love with him. I knew you're in love with him. So I guess the guy had started telling people that I was in love with him. That's why I wasn't oh. hanging out. And, and I was just, this was almost like being raped all over again because I'm I, like, this is being told about me behind my back. And like, it just felt so disgusting. And like, I just felt, and, and, and it was the energy of my friend Kirk. Who's like, I see it. Look at you. This, you can't even admit to it. You can't even admit to it. You're in love with him. You're in love with him. And the more his energy got, the more it like calls me. And I just finally blurted it out. And it was the first time I'd ever said it. And I was like, I'm not in love with him. He raped me. And the second I said the word, my entire body just like locked down. It was just like pan. And, and so this whole thing led to me having to, 
my girlfriend was like, you never hang out with us anymore. It was my 25th birthday. Like if you don't, if you don't, you know, show up, you're not a good friend. And I was like, I either have to not be a good friend and not show up at her party, which by the way, if someone tells you you're not a good friend because they didn't, you didn't come to their party, they might reconsider your friend group, but whatever, <laughs> I was 19. Um, but so she, I realized I either had to not come to this party and let her down or I had to tell her the truth. And so she would go on to be the second person I told. And, um, and she like burst into tears and, and Kirk had gotten so angry. Like he's Irish and he turned 50 shades of red, like his entire face looked like it was going to pop off. And I was like, what is going on? And I felt nothing. And I'm like, like obviously for these 10 months and I'm like, why should I have gotten angry or should I have burst into tears? Like I'm looking at these people, like these interesting little, um, sorry, a call coming in. Um, these interesting little creatures. And I'm like, well, should I have reacted differently? And and so I go to the birthday party and she's explained to the bouncer, like, you know, this is a person, they're not allowed in, la la la. The security guard literally takes a five minute bre- like break to go to the restroom. And this guy goes in with a group of people who are all on the list. And I, I come around the corner and he like comes around the corner at the same time. And he's like, hey, and like, just like, literally I just immediately like back into the corner and he like puts his arms on either side of the corner. And I'm just like, I feel like a trapped animal. And I'm just like, and he's like, he's like, I'm like you, he, he said, so he's like, he's like, what we had was beautiful. What we had was beautiful. And I'm like, you, I just, I couldn't say the word because it's really hard for a survivor to say the word. It was actually shocking that it shocked me that I said it to Kirk, but it was in that intense moment. And I hadn't said the word since. Um, but I couldn't say that actual word, but I kept saying, you know, what happened, you know, what happened, like, you know, you, and he was just like, he just was like, just like you, you, I don't know why you're saying this. What we have is beautiful. And I was just like, just my entire body was just in absolute panic. And my boyfriend at the time had walked around the corner and he was like super, like one of the not jealous types. And I, I recommend being a jealous type in a situation like this, like help. Um, and he came back around. I think I kicked his shin so hard. He probably like has a bruise to this day. I was like, help me. And he's like, I'm going to take my girlfriend away. And then I, I never saw him after that, but that, that was the only incident. And, and it was, it was terrifying. It was like running in, it was like being in the room with a lion. Wow. Have you, you know, you, you know, you were a young model, 15 years old when you started. Did you ever have any interactions as far as like people saying, Hey, kind of being a little over sexual or, you know, or being taken advantage of as being a model or even with a casting director as an actress, have you had any issues or? <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. Sharon Stone did. <laughs> yes adam of course well i'm curious well the the thing is like obviously the me too movement hit hollywood and the movie industry the me too movement really hasn't hit the modeling industry and you hear the stories you hear about predators in that industry using their power using their fame or, or their job position to get these girls their start why haven't we heard anything from that yet absolutely and i mean if you look at it and you think about why you know what's at what's the risk now so you've got you have a world where it's no longer good enough to be you know 
I, I was one of the few lucky little midget models on 5'7", um, but it's no longer good enough to be, you know, 5'10", 5'11", and beautiful or interesting. It's like you have to, you just have to have um, 50,000 followers and some cute bikini pics, and now you're, you know, you're, you're up in the running in these modeling opportunities that, so you've got more options than you've ever had with the same probably amount of opportunities and you're going to put your job on the line by saying that someone did something who could take your job away there's it's scary and that's why you know I have a lot of mixed feelings about the Me Too movement I'm so thankful that we have this you know this platform now where survivors can come forward we do live in a world where you're guilty once accused and and that's a dangerous world it's a dangerous world um when you start seeing people <laughs> with all these allegations and they're coming out everywhere it's kind of you know it would be silly to think that that's not true but it is a, it is a difficult world to navigate but with the modeling industry I, I don't know a model who hasn't experienced that. I mean, one of the reasons that I didn't drink was I in the models department when I was 15 in Miami. Two of this is when roofies had become, Rufalon had become a thing suddenly, once again, aging myself. Um, two of my friends were date raped. One of them was actually raped. Like one, two were drugged. One was actually raped. And, and this was just something like you really hope doesn't happen, but it might. That, that was the way that people talked about it. It was, it was not like this terrible thing. It was just like, you got to be careful. You might get raped. But like, is this inside like, like the casting room or is this like just at a bar? Uh, I mean, they're, they're very closely related. So what happens is that oh, you meet some, at a bar you know, with someone that's getting you. Well, it's like, it's like one of the big clients comes in town and they're shooting on location and they have a big table and they want to have everybody out. And, you know, so there's, there's an element of like, you're out with people who could hire you tomorrow at the casting and you're, yeah, it's this, it's that constant. That's, that's what's so tricky. It's not just a, and, and it's tricky enough when it is in the office, but it's not a nine to five setting where you can, you know, you can go and, you know, go to a dive bar by you and not have to run into your boss or your potential boss, right? Yeah. In that world and in the world of Hollywood and, and all of entertainment and media, your part of working is the socializing element. So it's very it's a very scary kind of concept. But but yeah, I mean I I, I personally had an incident where um the this I was supposed to wear like a, I was supposed to look like kind of businessy or whatever for the casting. And I went and I had a button down and, you know, you just like leave the top couple buttons down. And the um, guy reached over and was like, oh, your, your shirt's unbuttoned and reached his entire hand in and grabbed my breast. Just like in my like shirt. Nothing. And I, wow. like, like it was just totally, totally fine. And the, and you just kind of freeze. And then I had an incident um, with Terry Richardson, and I was an actress at this time, but I was doing I uh, was doing Interview Magazine, and we even talk about this. Like my my reps were like, you know, be careful. He can be kind of sleazy, and and it was like normalized to warn the model that that the person could be sleazy and to be careful. The same with um, with Abercrombie and Fitch, and um, and uh, not 
for girls, for guys with that. But, um, but with Terry, I, um, I was pre-warned and I remember cause I was good at keeping people at arm's length. Like if they were like, I reacted, like I actually took off, I sprinted. I left the one where the guy grabbed my boob. I just like took off running. I left and ran all the way to the train. I was just like, I was very good with people that were outside of my circle, but because, because of what happened to me when I was younger, people inside my circle, I didn't think I had a right to say no kind of thing. And so, so with Terry Richardson, I put off a very like masculine energy, like that, that was not that as I learned from Tony Robbins is not attractive to a masculine energy. <laughs> I made myself very gross. I was like, what's up, man? <laughs> not the kind of chick you're trying to hang with. Like, I'm like, do you want me to move like this? Cause he went to like touch me at one point and I like recoiled and I was like, I can put my arm up here like this. And it was like, yeah, she suddenly is not very sexy and very kind of like awkward and like maybe a dude inside. <laughs> I was post-op. Um, but <laughs> but I, it was it was definitely um, it was definitely something that was throughout my career as a model. And so many models have told me this. And and it's you know, I, I, I don't know the full extent of why the stories are not out as much as they are. But I, that would be my assumption. What, what is your advice to a new young actress who comes to Hollywood trying to make it? Uh, what's your advice to them to how to handle fame overall? Fame, the, you know, being over uh, creeping counters, acting. What, 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 you know, what do you generally say to someone? What, what's your advice to people? Um, well, my first, when people tell me they want to be an actor, the first thing I tell them, my first piece of advice is do not do it. <laughs> I'm like, if you still want to do it, that means you've got some gumption. Um, so you're, you're thinking about, you're like, screw this chick. I'm going to do it anyway. That's good. That means you've got, you've got some gravitas. Number two is imagine your entire life doing this your whole life and not making a dime. If you still want to do it, now we're talking. Now you've got something to work with, right? Because <laughs> this is something real for you and something that goes deep. Um, but also it has a sense of awareness that it's not easy and it takes a lot of work and it takes time. It's an overnight success, 10 years in the making, as they say. So if you've got those first two things down, then when you go into this, and this is something that I did not know in my life and the world, but in work, I know my value. And when I walk in the room, I know what I bring to the table. And when you do not treat me with the level of respect, whether it's what you offer me, like negotiations-wise, contract-wise, or, or the way you treat me in the room, if you don't treat me with respect, you will not have time with me. That is, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you can possibly do for my career. You don't get to be around me, and you don't get to work with me if you don't respect me and what I'm, what I believe my value is. So, know your value would be the third one. Look at, look at something that, look at this industry, and 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 think everybody's going to tell me not to do it, and I still want it. Check. I could never make a dime in my whole life doing this job and I still want to do it, check. Know my fucking value, check. Those are the three, those are the three, um, top, or those would be my top threes, I would say, because when you know those, when you know those three, three things, you're so rooted and grounded in, in what you're here to do and why you're here to do it. And that's the other thing is I had my what, I didn't always have my why. Right. So, yeah. so your why might change over time, but for me, I didn't even have one. I just, 
my what was just like, I'm going to be an actress, I'm going to be an actress, I'm going to be an actress. And, and it started to fall apart when I got offered 90210 and I didn't want to be in this town anymore. And I was having what I call a young life crisis. And I said no to the show and they thought I wanted more money. And I was like, you can't entice me with money. I grew up in a trailer park and I ate ramen noodles in New York. I don't need your money. I don't want to be here anymore. And, and it was finding my why, which was, that was when I got involved. I got on a plane to Cambodia. Um, I went and I met these girls who changed my life. And suddenly if I elevated me, I would elevate them. And that was my why. So, so knowing your what and finding Finding your why and and having those three values of of what you're willing to put into this, what you're willing to never, what you're willing to do and not necessarily ever get, and 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 what you're worth and and your what and your why. Those are my that would be my advice. Is that what happened when you did nine hundred two and Is that when you originally got it, you wanted? I wouldn't say they offered you more money, you kind of turned it down for it. You know, you kind of, what happened when you, when you, uh, yeah, sold? I've never heard this. So I didn't know that you didn't accept the role right away. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My agents wanted to murder me. They were like, this is your big break, you crazy person. Uh, and I, I was going through a moment where I really, I come off of Nip Top, first of all, like as an artist, I come off of, a Nip, of Nip Top working on an acclaimed show with an unbelievable writer, creator, unbelievable actors. Everybody works, does their job to the best of their ability, and they go home, and they have their families and their life, and there wasn't drama. I didn't understand when I, when I would then go on to do a film for Sony called uh, Fired Up which we, I did in the period of time when Nip Tuck was on a hiatus due to the writer's strike. And, um, and I, I just was kind of thrown into a world with 20-something-year-olds who had a very different outlook on what it meant to go to set every day. And, and I just didn't necessarily, not there was anything wrong with it. I just didn't, I wasn't accustomed to it, I wasn't used to it, and it wasn't my way. I liked what I experienced on Nip Tuck and in a way felt a little spoiled and was like, I want to be an artist or I don't want to do this kind of thing. And there was a film about human trafficking that got, that got shelved at that same time that I was doing Fired Up. And uh, I was just heartbroken that, that it got shelved because it was in the middle of rewrites and because it was a writer's strike, they couldn't do anything more with it, so it didn't get made. And, and so I was just like, oh, this is like... This is just not what I'm a thespian. I want to be a thespian. I want to be an artist, you know, and I was just so dramatic. So I just thought that maybe I just wasn't cut out to be in this town. It wasn't my thing. And I got in touch with my old acting partner who had educated me on the issue of human trafficking, actually, back when I was 17, um, working, studying in New York. And I called her and I was like, well, I'm coming back to New York. I hate this town. I'm over it. I'm not going to be an actress anymore. I'm going to work at Starbucks and find a new passion because this place sucks. And she was like... Uh, Oh no! Oh, All right, let's call her back. <laughs> what happened? Sorry, guys. I tried to hang up on the person, and I ended up hanging up on you guys. Um, no, so I got back in contact. Oh, with... hold on. We can't see you. Oh, where is it? Hold on. There you are. Okay, sorry about that. I was like, wait, that was the wrong button. Um, <laughs> so I got in contact with my old acting partner from New York who had educated me on the issue of human trafficking. And I told her, I'm coming back to New York. I want to be, I'll work at Starbucks. I'll find a new passion. This is not it. This is just not it. And she was like, you are insane. Like, you don't understand what kind of platform 
you have to be able to help people. And I, I really, I, I just, it never occurred to me. I, I didn't know. I was 20. I was like, I'd always been a, as Tony, um, Tony Robbins would say, I was a power god. Um, I was in my red, it's all about me, I'm cutthroat, I'm ruthless, I'm here to make my dreams happen and my life happen. And oh, no shit, Sherlock, I wasn't happy. Um, but so she helped me kind of elevate uh, up the, the scales of consciousness to a higher level by getting on a plane with me to Cambodia. Um, I met these girls who I thought I was going to go and help save them, and they saved my life and turned my world upside down. And, and then my work has really changed, and it's been, ooh, it's been about choosing work that will elevate me to elevate the work that I do with fighting human trafficking, and also things that you know that I, I obviously want to do or find are interesting. But it's it's a lot more about something bigger than just this and just me. So then what what changed? You came back from that trip and you're like, okay, now I'll do the show? Uh, well, actually, it was it was in getting involved and getting educated that um, that I started to really see, I, I think, you know, what I didn't realize at the time was this connection to these stories was so personal because of what happened to me that I had this need to, to do it now. So, so I can't, I, um, I planned the trip. I didn't actually get to go until after filming. Um, but I got, well, as soon as I started learning more about the stories and learning more about, I was just like, this is what I'm doing. And I talked to my publicist and I was like, okay, look, if I take this show, I want to be able to talk about this issue. I want to be able to educate on this. I want to be able to, and he was like, yeah, there'll be your interviews. You can do, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I'm like, well, okay. But like, I'm not going to do it otherwise. And he's like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and so that was really, I, I was very naive to the process at the time. Gotcha. That's insane. So wait, this, your show, it was a success, 90210. It ran five seasons. I mean, it probably made, a, you made very good money for that and kind of set you up for a lot of good things. The last season of 90210, the reboot, just only ran one season, didn't get picked up. You know, why did you think that one and that was like that was that was like what the biggest show of the summer i kind of am confused why it didn't get picked up i'm surprised it was funny it was something different people still like those characters so i'm i don't know what's your opinion on it i didn't actually see it but what? I... how did you not see that you are you are a 90210 star they reboot the show that you, you know, like... I told you guys, I'm weird. I'm homeschooled. I have a weird taste. Yeah, but I get it I if didn't... you were like, I, don't, I didn't watch American Idol's reboot. I get it. You have nothing. But, like, you became super famous because of that show, and then that show yeah. is back on. How did you not watch that? Just, to, just well, out of pure I, curiosity. I actually... I actually never saw the original 90210. So I'm the worst 90210-er ever. Like, I'm terrible. That's unbelievable. I know. It's I mean, obviously our show, we're we're so thankful that they did so well for ten years in the nineties because we had a show as a result of them. But our show was very different than it yeah. wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant to be a kind of a, a remake so much as it was a, a, a as you said, a reboot and it was something that was new characters, new storylines, you know, all that stuff. So, but I know like everyone was like, what is wrong with you? How could you not? And, and I don't know. I just, I, I watched like 
Penny Dreadful and like um, uh, Peaky Blinders and like these are the types of shows I'm into. So they're very, very different, which is probably why I didn't initially want to do Nights when I didn't really get it. It wasn't, I grew up homeschooled. I didn't get the whole high school element of like bratty teenagers or whatever. And it was, it was very much a stretch for me, but, but as far as like why a show does or doesn't do well, it's, it's audience. It's always the audience. They tell us what they want and they tell us what they don't want. And it's like, if they, you know, if, if they're just not vibing for whatever reason, or if something doesn't catch now because there's so much saturation, if something doesn't catch like right away, people don't even give it a chance. They don't want to sink any more money into it. There's so many more, um, you know, forms of content that they can. Yeah. So, so it's really, it's really hard. It's amazing that they got their first season and that it was doing so well as it was, because it's not easy to get anything, even remakes like and reboots go off the, off the ground these days. I would say in the last five years, have you ever run into any of those cast members from the original? Um, yeah, I have mostly when I was on the show because we would be paired, you know, uh, at events or something like that. I haven't run into them any, and in recent uh, years, just but my my kind of circles have changed a little bit just because I'm I'm over in Marina Del Rey, you know. What is, <laughs> so, what is this? You know, you're in LA. Who's a celebrity that you run into the most? Like, oh my God, I keep running into this person. Um, like back in the day. In general, back in the day, in general, is there one person, like, who's the biggest star that you always run into? Maybe in your hood, or maybe just, like, is there one person you always... Or you just, like, outside of Oprah's house, you're I, like, I can't keep running yeah, into Oprah her. Yeah, I just run into each other all the time. Um, <laughs> actually, Paris Hilton, like, I, I would see her all the time. And, I mean, like, I personally, her, it's The Simple Life, is the only reality show that matters in all of time. <laughs> it is... Like, I bow down and worship at the foot of. But I would also um, say, wasn't that, like, her heyday of, like, super fame was also at the time that, like, 90210 was just massive, right? So I'm assuming you guys were going to the same clubs or the same hangouts, same events, and she was the it person to send to anything at that time. Yeah, we, I mean, we, and we literally saw each other. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was exactly that. And it was like, we were, she had hit and then we were coming up. Um, but it's funny, I hadn't seen her in a while. And then I was at the Elton John Oscars party last, uh, in February and she ended up being, we, we sort of sat at the same table. And I mean, I had, so it, she's so much fun. And it was funny because we realized like out of all the years that have run into each other, just like, hi, 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 is all the whole time for a decade. This was the first time we actually had a real conversation about anything at all, because you're just, you look like you're, you know, in this group of people, but you're really not. You're just, you know, if you're photographed together or at the same event, then it's kind of perceived yeah. that you know people, but you don't really know them. So, but I, I think, I still, I think she's awesome. So she's I, I was going to say, a lot of people ask me, they say like, who is one celebrity that you've met that you are like so surprised? And I, my answer is always Paris Hilton, because yeah. you have this perception of Paris Hilton, but then the real Paris Hilton is... So nice, so kind, smart. Yeah. She clearly funny. has. She's so funny. She, she's she gets, funny. She's savvy. Yeah. So who have you met that has also broken that expectation for you? Well, the Kardashians came on my show on 90210, like season um, two or three. And they were they were just kind of launching. Actually, um, um, I actually gave them an award at, for breakout 
like breakout reality stars. stars or breakout shows or something. Um, I, I mean, it must've been 10 years ago or more. I, yeah, maybe 10 years ago. Um, but everybody, you know, they're on set. Everyone's like, wait, what's this going to be? Is it going to be dramatic? Is it, first of all, they were not even on time. They were early. They were hair and makeup ready. They were so willing to be looked at and touched up by the other art because, you know, their makeup, like you have to have like union, whatever credentials to be on set. Um, they, Kim was the sweetest thing I've ever met in my life. Chloe was hilarious. Courtney wasn't there. It was just Kim and, um, Kim and Chloe. But Kim was so sweet that literally she was supposed to be mean to my character. She's supposed to be mad at my character because my character like stole from her or something. And she was just like, Naomi. It really wasn't cool that you stole from us. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be mean to her. She's so nice. She was so nice. I mean, I was I was blown away. I did. I just, you know, I didn't obviously know here nor there, but there, everybody was like, you know, everybody's like, catty as shit. Um, that was and a pretty it wasn't good uh, Kim voice, though, I got to yeah, say. Yeah, that was great. Oh, <laughs> She was so sweet, and I, I literally, I thought Chloe was hysterical. She obviously is hysterical, but, like, it was, it, it was totally, we all were talking after, just like, wow, they're so awesome. I, you know, people say all this stuff, and then you meet someone, and they're just awesome, so they were super cool. Do you, uh, let me ask you this, Anna. Are you, since you're so knowledgeable of, like, your, your own values now, you know, you, you've done a lot of personal work, personal development work on yourself, through therapy, through doing a lot of different treatments. Are you a good girlfriend? And I only say that because, like, it's, you know, some people might be kind of scared of that. Like, oh, my God, here's this girl who's so strong about what she wants. I might be taken back about that. But is that make you a better girlfriend now? Uh, because the, you're truth, so the truth is, Adam, I pretend to be really good, but I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to get you into my little web so I can ruin your life. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so it's so interesting. I, you know, I had a huge breakthrough. So obviously, Adam gave me the hookup, uh, you know, like really made things awesome for me while I did Date with Destiny, which is my first Tony Robbins event. And, and I'll say it was extremely full circle to be able to have started my life listening to, to cassette tapes that my sister grabbed from our grandmother's house and we listened to when we were kids to then restart my life with my memories coming back and really know myself for the very first time then to follow that healing process up with going to date with destiny and actually getting to meet tony thanks adam um but at the event one of the biggest breakthroughs i had was relationship was was to do with relationships and and i i realized that cuz he has you make these little bubbles so you're like you're you're working on yourself bubble and you're working on work bubble and then you're working on relationships little tiny bubble that's so small <laughs> um, that was my experience so what i realized is i've kept people at arm's length i intimacy was so scary for me obviously. Um, sex, no problem. Like I could fake it. I could fake intimacy all day long. Um, because typically, I mean, it's not always the truth, but a lot of times when it comes to guys, like if your guys are having sex and it's great, the guy thinks the relationship's great. So I was good. He was good. And I didn't ever have to open up too much. And then there would always be that rocky point when he would start to kind of figure out well, there's something like a little off, like we're not, the, something's going on. And, and then I would withdraw because that would be me sensing that, that someone was trying to get to know me on a place that wasn't safe. And, 
And I would err on the side of putting on my masculine energy or I would like, you know, there was always something that I could do that would push you away enough that you would stop asking and stop trying to dig into who I really am. And, and what happened for me at date with destiny was that I was able to look at that part of my story and have a lot of compassion for how hard it's been for me to be able to be vulnerable and to open up and to be, you know, in an intimate kind of setting and, and maintain that. And, and to also have a lot of gratitude to the people that I've been with who have given me love. And even when I haven't let them all the way in and let them fully get to, you know, you know, as, as Tony said, somehow, how can you be such an asshole and not let me give to you? Like it's the gift that the giver has as well. I was much comfortable being on the, let me like give to you and don't ever see what I need or see that, you know, that I need you. Um, showing a need was really unsafe or showing a want. It all felt like, you know, what if I don't get it? It'll be the worst thing in the whole world and I'll die immediately. And it's like, Oh, okay. That's not going to happen. Um, so, so I've, I've always, I, I'll say that my partners have always, you know, we're all friends and, and there's always an element of, of maybe, you know, there's, the, the, there was nothing ever super horrible that I did to anybody. Um, but the, in the early days when there were a lot of kind of reactive things in my twenties and stuff, I, and I, and I was a total raging bitch. Um, I've called those former partners and apologized and, and kind of made up for that. But I would say that I, now I'm someone who I'm not afraid of, of being vulnerable and being open and being, uh, in a connected dynamic. I'm definitely not someone who, is like a all day, every day kind of chick. Sure. Like I definitely need my autonomy. Um, so that can be perceived in different ways, but I think that I'd be a fucking awesome girlfriend. Is the answer to that. <laughs> what, what would you be doing if you weren't an actress today? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I would just move to Cambodia and I'd have a million children. But let's, let's, um, let's take out money and success what if you didn't go down the path of acting or modeling where okay. do you think you'd be um i would definitely be i would own a university um i would i would be educating educators because i think that they're all terrible no <laughs> i think that the system is majorly flawed and and i would create i would be someone who would create a space where I teach the people who are going to teach our future <laughs> how to be and who to be in such a capacity that my that my students, my the educators, would be so well-rounded as human beings that when they walk into that space with those kids, there's no there's no power plays. There's no you know it's 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 the it's all coming from a place of wholeness. And I think that sometimes. The, a big issue with when we're we're going from a sense of a helper, a giver, or whatever, which is oftentimes people who end up being teachers, that they you you come from a sense of like wanting appreciation. You can't want appreciation with children. You have to be unconditional. 
you you have to be there because it makes you feel better that you're investing in the future of this planet. And that's how I feel about kids. And I would create a university and a well-rounded educational platform so that educators and anyone who went there to train would leave knowing that that they have the tools to make sure that they are fully gratified just by the work itself without having to be validated by the kids and therefore not feeling hurt at the end of the day if some kid didn't like them or something. That's amazing. Well, listen, you've been so good. Tell me, uh, you know, lastly, I want to hear about the love storm. You know, tell me about love storm, why it's important to you and uh, where people can find more information about it. Okay, absolutely. So the love storm is my, the reason that I'm on this planet. This is why I came here and it's why I had to have the crazy life that I have um, because I had to build up these two parts of me, which are both made of love and full of storm. I'm, a, I'm an intense person. Um, but so the love storm is a global awareness campaign educating on the issue of human trafficking. And I'll send you guys over like, you know, the excerpts of what we're doing and what sure, it's about sure. and everything. But it, the, there's a, there's a quote that, um, that Albert Einstein said, which is, we cannot change. We cannot solve the same problem. We cannot say it. Excuse me. We cannot solve the problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And I believe that we cannot solve the issues in our world with the same energy used to create them. Right. So, so we bring. We want to fight violence, and then we have violent protests, or we want to. You know, we have like this violent energy. We're angry and mad about things that are happening in the world because they're so bad. And it's like. That's still violence. So you're just fighting violence with violence. One's one's righteous indignation, violent energy. One's actual violence perpetrated onto our world. Um, so for me, I believe that we have to take the kind of intensity that you want, that mad, that angry, mad feeling. Can, you can have that level of intensity, but you can do it with love. And, and that love is, in my opinion, mama bear energy. Um, so mama bear energy is guys have it too if you see a kid about to run out in front of a car and you're close enough to grab it what are we all going to reactively do without even thinking about it our entire body is going to go flush with adrenaline adrenaline and cortisol we're going to go into survival instinct mode and we're going to grab that kid and save its life with all the intensity inside of us right Mm -hmm. so that is that's a beautiful energy it's from love but it's um but it's also um but it's also you know it's powerful, right? So the love storm, that's what the love storm is supposed to be about. It's, it's, the, it's an educational event about the issues of human trafficking that we're hoping will be empowering because we believe you cannot clean up the outside until you've cleaned up the inside. We're fighting slavery from the inside out. So the actual event is a mass meditation prayer we're inviting if you're christian if you're a muslim if you're weird this is a joint thing if you believe in loving kindness and compassion for this world and that fits into your religion or your belief system we ask you to come out and express that with us in the form of whatever you you we're calling it meditation you can call it prayer you can call it whatever makes sense to you but spend 90 minutes with us on uh one day in 20 plus cities around the world to, to clean up the inside with that, that stillness that we need to clear the mind of its thoughts. To, and that's the only time that we can, in, in the belief of what we're teaching, is that you can't 
you'll never kill slavery. You'll never, never kill human trafficking. Those are ideas, right? You can kill traffickers. You can kill enslave, you know, people who are enslaving people, but you won't kill slavery and trafficking because those are ideas. The only way to, to overcome those ideas is to have a bigger and better idea. And that idea is freedom. And that freedom has to come from within, without, right? So we set ourselves free. We start breaking the chains on the inside. We can break them on the outside. So the Love Storm is an educational, empowering event that hosts a mass meditation for all of us to come together, learn about the issues on a global level as well as a local level. So local organizations will be involved. Have some seconds to clear our minds. We'll have um, we're having kids. Like a twelve year old is leading the first meditation um, at the Los Angeles at the LA Storm, which is uh, January eleventh, two thousand twenty, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And when we were kids, it's like that visual experience. So, like if you're a child, you know when when we look up there and see a girl, a little girl, a little boy leading us in a meditation, we get to have a personal connection from our inner child to that little child we instantly engage with the child inside of us and we remember the moments when we were free right so this is a visual of what it what it used to feel like to be free and so the idea is if you walk away from our event and the only thing you ever do is set yourself free you have already begun the process of clearing the collective consciousness from one more thought about slavery and you've introduced one more idea of freedom. So, so you go to this event, you get educated, you get inspired, you get empowered, you start clearing the chains of yourself. You start clearing the chains in your household and hopefully you'll come on board and fight human trafficking with me. Um, but so the love storm will be in Los Angeles in New York in Toronto, Miami, Atlanta. Uh, we're going to London, Geneva, Sydney, uh, South Africa, Cape town. We end up in on October 10th in Cambodia with my girls, which will be really amazing. So it's a, like a 10 month long campaign and you might see us randomly in love stormtrooper outfits. So we, I've gotten all my friends to do stormtrooper flash mobs, with me, which are terrible because I've choreographed the, the song and dance. And the, you just know, if you know me, you know, the song and dance are gonna be terrible because I did it. Um, so if anyone wants to donate their time with dancing and singing, that would be better because I suck at that. But um, we're just trying to we're just trying to bring love and an intense love into this world to to bring to make a really really huge impact to obviously fight this issue that is a global issue it's in every country of the world and it is something that i i out of all the things that i can think of selling a human being is probably one of the worst things i can contemplate so that's what the love storm is here to help eradicate so well, it's an, it's you're doing some amazing things. You're an amazing actress, but also you're doing some amazing things, personal work as far as getting raising awareness for this stuff, but also just coming on this podcast and educating Dax and I and also the audience about stuff that you went through. So people make sure you know, make sure you follow her on Instagram. She's a fun follow. She's uh it's it, she's a great account to follow on Instagram and social media. Uh check her out. Anna, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely you. you guys are awesome thank you appreciate Thanks. your time this is going to be our first two-part podcast by the way <laughs> i know i talked a long time so no, I told it, was, you have to no up. it was so fascinating normally we would just be like oh we'll cut them down into our 40 minutes but it's been so interesting and you've had such good information that 
we're like sitting here going, no, this is going to be a two-parter. It's that good. So <laughs> you'll be our first two-part episode. So thank you so much for for joining us. It's been really fun talking to you. And I mean, very heavy at the same time, but with an issue, I think that, you know, there's someone out there that's going to be listening that goes, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with crap in my life that should be out and maybe I'm holding it in and maybe I need to let it out and tell people and hopefully that you give them that that courage to do so. Absolutely. And then they can always, I've had thousands of people reach out to me. I respond to everyone. It takes me a while, but I get back to everyone. You can go to, you can actually go to thelovestorm.com. I manage that email account um, with my with my team. So anything that's personal to me, they'll shift right over to me. And I'll try to get back to, to any and everybody who may or may not have someone to talk to. You can talk to me. Well, thank you again for all Thanks. you do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Wow, dude. That was crazy. Crazy, dude. I, it's cool because, you know, like we said in the beginning, we, we've been following her for a long time, and then we get to talk to her in this long format and get to know about her and her struggles and her – but she's also in a really good place, so that's a great thing. It, so it's it, – it, The thing is not everyone can be that open about a past that is so – kind of like difficult to like talk about and she sat there and she just talked to us for like an hour and a half <laughs> you know like about everything the woman doesn't hide anything everything it's uh I, I, listen props to her she's so cool so awesome so honest um and she's doing some really great work so it's mm-hmm. just uh, that was that was a lot of fun doing really some great stuff so uh, big thanks again to Annalyn McCord for coming on the podcast today. You can find Adam at Adam Glenn on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and MySpace <laughs> and anything else. Uh, you can find me at Dax Holt, uh, not on TikTok. All right, guys. Well, have a good one. We will see you hey, next week. We got some good li- uh, other guests lined up. They're coming up. I feel like this podcast is really like getting some legs, dude. Dude, we were just uh, – the situation, her, I'm excited. 2020, uh, a lot of good guests come about to come on this podcast. I'm excited. Woo, woo. By the way, how cool is it seeing our story on the front page of TMZ? Yeah. Yes. Show business. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Talk to you later.